Thank you. Morning, everybody. It's great to be here. I actually visited North Lakes once before, and I'm pretty sure you weren't in this building, so that's how long ago it was. That was a long time. I'm preaching this morning from Numbers. Numbers. If you don't know where Numbers is, you go to the front of your Bible and you look in the index and you chuck a right several blocks down. You can't miss it. It's right there. Just numbers, chapter 13 and 14. We're not going to be reading or preaching from the whole of that, but let me just read to you one portion of it from Numbers 14, verse 11. But if you could leave that passage open in front of you as we reflect upon it this morning. Numbers 14, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? And all, with all the, thing, the signs that I've performed among them, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them and make, them a nation, and make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Well, then the Egyptians will hear it, and you might, that they, you might, your might, you brought them up out from among them, and they will tell uh, it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people that you, Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands above them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people off as one man, then the nations will have heard of your fame and will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. So now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, Lord, according to the great greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt up until now. And then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test. Now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land to, of which I swore to give their fathers. Nor shall any of these who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land wherever he went, and, into the, and his descendants will inherit it. So my question to you this morning is, and if you leave that open on your lap, what sets someone aside from another person? What makes somebody different? What makes a person different from another person? Now, there are any number of options to consider. It used to be that you could say what used to set people aside was tattoos, but that's not true anymore. Um, it used to be that you could say strength, right? But that fails, if you hadn't noticed it already. Um, it used to be said that money could set you aside, and there is some truth to that, but we all know that runs out. We all know you can lose that. It used to be said that influence would set you aside, and that's true too, except influence can wane as well. It used to be said that it was certain abilities, and that could be true too in a way, but 
those certain abilities decrease with in effect. Is it beauty? Yeah, see, that, that doesn't last forever, right? Is it, what, what is it that sets someone apart? What makes them, regardless of their age, regardless of their, their gender, regardless of their background, what makes them different? What makes them set apart from somebody else? Now, the Bible has an answer for it, and in part, Numbers 13 and 14 um, begin to answer that question. Because you see, the Bible says that Caleb, in chapter 14, verse 24, and I read it to you, a diff, for Caleb has a different or another spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went. Now I'm going to pray, no need to close your eyes, bow your heads, it's not a religious thing. Father, in the name of Jesus, quicken us with the ability to have a different spirit in us. Quicken us to be able to be set apart from anyone else in the world, even our brothers and sisters. Quicken us with a different spirit that helps us to be the people you have called us to be in the earth. We all said, Amen. Caleb had, as it turned out, another spirit. As it turns out, this difference would set him aside from his whole generation. The Bible says in verse 22 and 23 of Numbers 14, uh, apart from Joshua, of course, where he said, um, all these men who have seen my glory, now that was uh, all these other guys around Caleb and Joshua, have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land. And it turns out that Caleb, was there was such a different spirit in him that he was clearly going to be known as someone different from the entire generation he was a part of. Uh, that's a profound difference. That's a profound difference. There was very few people who, in the generation coming up under that, who were aware of, of how significant he was because he was him and Joshua were the only two left of that generation of men. Something had set him aside that he had come into a fullness that had caused him to be set aside from his entire generation. Now the story was that there were 12 men that were chosen, one for each of the 12 tribes, to go into Canaan and to have a look at it firsthand, to see it for themselves and then report back to the people that were waiting in the desert just southeast of the Jordan River. And it was impressive, absolutely impressive. No one argued with the fact. No one came back saying, hey, Canaan sucks, man, don't go there. It's really bad. It didn't say that. Everyone said, it's great. The grapes are huge, right? The cities are there. The, the, the pasture is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Beautiful, beautiful place, right? Lovely place. It's like Queensland, you know, it's just... Just amazing. Well, nobody said the land sucks. We, we, we've been sold a, a bad bill of fare here. Let's go somewhere else. No one argued with the fact. But the ten spies who went in, so the story is told, only saw the impediments to that land. They only saw the impediments. So they saw the land, but the impediments was what stayed with them. Except for, as the story goes... Something in Caleb and Joshua caused them to see Canaan with all its opportunities and challenges so differently. Something was operating on the inside of him, them, and particularly with Caleb, as I mentioned this morning, which was going to set them aside. So that it would be obvious something in this man, Caleb, set him aside from 
the rest of his generation. Now, the story that, like most Old Testament narratives, the story which is in chapter 13 and 14, is not about the human figures. And it's really important if you're going to interpret this passage to get that really clear. It's not about Caleb, ironically. The lives and deeds of men and women that fill these stories in the Old Testament are significant and valuable, but the interpreting of the passage depends on your abilities to say, to be able to see, no, this is a theocratic history, therefore it's telling us something about God. The primary way we interpret this passage is it tells us something about God himself. That's why they were written. What was God doing at the time? And so before I show you the application of the story, I want to explain to you the meaning back there and then. The original meaning as it was meant to be understood the first time it was heard. These are a collection of stories. They'd been in circulation for a long time before they were written down. The histories of the coming into Canaan and the conquest of Canaan include books like, have you ever read Joshua? Yeah, you know Joshua? So if you go to the, if you go, um, to the index and you chuck five blocks, the next one is Joshua, right? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the first Samuel. These are the first histories, theocratic histories. What was God doing at this time? And these are the, the stories um, that will lead us to understand what God is doing at this very early stage of the, the journey of the people of God. You see, God had made a promise. There was a land to be inherited, a place that the people of Israel could call their own true home. A long promised place to a man they called their father, Abraham. It had been more than half a millennia ago, almost 500 years since it had been promised. And the story was that this generation was the one to come into it. But you see, one of the interesting things is that as they came into the, across to the Jordan and looked at the land across it, even went into it and had a look, not everybody who called themselves the people of God believed in God. Not everybody who called themselves the people of God were mature believers in any, in any way. Some of them had very little commitment to the faith of Israel. Some of them were quite, well, they were quite a mixed bunch, really. Kind of like the human race, right? They were quite a mixed bunch. So don't make out that these people are great spiritual giants. They're just ordinary people. They're wrestling with something that looks quite impossible to them. Don't think that they've got all their stuff together. Isn't that a good thing? God loves people who don't have their stuff together. And when, he, when, he, when he's helping us to get our stuff together, there is something he desires to do in us that helps us to walk into all that he's promised us. You see, there are even Christians going to church people who are like the children of Israel, sitting just outside the promises of God, hearing all the promises of God, going, boy, if that was true, that would be good. 
gee, that'd be great if that was true. Just looking over there, you know, I'll have what she's having, right? We sit just outside the promises of God. You see, this is the difference Caleb had in his generation. He said, no, I'll have that. I will not sit outside and wonder what that's about. I will enter into that. I'm determined to, and I'm, I'm going to do it by trusting the God who made the promise. Does that make sense? If God makes the promise, Caleb said, I'm believing it. I'm calling it into being. I'm not sitting outside across the river looking over and saying, gee, that looks good. I'm saying, no, I'm getting in. I want this. This promise is my promise. I'm calling it into being. I haven't got it yet. I haven't got it yet, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to get it. I'm coming into it. I'm walking into it. I'm fighting for it. You're not going to put me off just going to say, it's too hard. It's, you've failed so much before, you'll never get it right again. Caleb said, I don't care. I'm making this promise mine. See, there's a different spirit in him, see? All his peers said, nah, it's too hard. Nah, nah, I don't care if God's, God's promised it. This is too hard. This is just crazy. You're not getting me over there doing that. I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. And a whole generation got found out. You see, what has happened here is the story, I think, needs to be rightly intended to be understood like this. What was God doing? He sent those 12 tribes, 12 men, into the land because he knew not everybody trusted him. They called them the people of God but not everybody trusted him and so he said I'm going to sift it out I'm going to send 12 guys in there and we'll see what we get and sure enough he sent 12 guys in there and 10 of them said no it's too hard no matter what God's promise is it's too hard and then two guys and one of them called Caleb who had a different spirit in him said this is surely mine I know people hear the good news about Jesus and how you can get your sins forgiven. You hear that and you're like like the people of Israel that day. They were sitting on the, the southwest, southeast side of the Jordan River looking over at this wonderful land and you hear the story of how you can have your sins forgiven and how you can be restored to life forevermore, how you can have peace with God and you sit across saying, I can't see how it can be. You don't know me. You don't know how much I've stuffed it up. You don't know how much I've undone the good opportunities I had. You don't know what I am. I can't have that. That's just too good. I can't have that. That's too hard. I don't even know how to trust God for that. And then there is someone in the meeting who just says, that promise is mine. I'm not giving it up. I'm calling it into being. I'm saying if God says I can have peace with him, then I'm calling that peace into being in my life. I'm taking it. And everybody who has that different spirit, everybody who has that different spirit can have the life that goes with the promise. You can sit on the other side there and say, I don't, I wish it was true. I wish it was true. And then you can look at people who've made their peace with God and you see the change in their life and you say, oh, I'd love to have something of that. And you have to start calling it into being. You see, God wanted to find how many people would trust him. He made promises. He made them half a millennia ago, but he said, will you promise me? Will you trust me? 
Will you promise to trust me? And he only found two. And he said to the other guys, well, you've made your choice. So around we go in the wilderness again. But Caleb and Joshua, I'm going to guarantee, no matter how long we're walking in that store, in that desert, you're going to come through and you're going to see it. And Caleb did. He was still fighting for what he wanted at 80 years of age. But he got it. He got it. Why? Because there's a different spirit in him. A different spirit in him that said, God, if you've said it, then I'm calling it into being. So shall it be now. I'm calling it to be. Come now. This promise is mine. I'm walking in it. I will have it. I will do it. And when push comes to shove, I will believe. Instead of I will say it's not. I, instead of saying it's too hard, I will believe. Now, all of that points to the original meaning of the story, that the people of God might understood that as they approached Canaan, their inheritance, God was looking for people who would trust Him. That's why He asked Moses to send the spies in. He wanted to know who were truly His. And God found there were some he could trust and upon them he poured out his promise. Now I can understand why Joshua was different. For he had been in the tent of meeting. Do you know, Joshua's a different fella. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend and he would return to the camp And listen to what the Bible says. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He sat in the manifest presence of God. Now I can understand, therefore, why he might have had some history and said, oh yeah, I know what this guy's like. If he's promised he's going to do it, I'm in. But why Caleb? He never got to see that. Why Caleb? He never got to sit in the presence of God and know the glory of God. Why him? Why him? Well, it turns out he had a different spirit in him. Any man, any woman, any boy, any girl who takes God at his word has a different spirit in them. Any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, if you take God at his word, there's a different spirit in you and that different spirit in you is going to separate you from the whole of the generation around you because instead of saying this is too hard, you will call it into being. And that's how you will do it. And so the original meaning of the passage was, this is what it's like to trust God. This is what God does. He finds out if you're ready to trust him. If you are, he'll pour it out. If there are a hundred people in the room and a hundred people trust him, he pours it out on a hundred people. And if there's a hundred people and only two trust him, he pours it out on the two. He'll do it with anyone who will trust him. He sent 12. He got two. He didn't give up, although he wanted to. He didn't give up. So I can understand why Joshua was different. But it turns out that Caleb has a different spirit. And that was what led him to trust the Lord as he did. And when you hear that kind of story and you think, okay, that was what the original meaning was. It was a call to trust God. And that's why most of the stories you'll read in the Old Testament, you've got to make sure who the right heroes are. The heroes are not Caleb and Joshua. The hero is God. He's telling you about something I was doing. I was trying to find out who would trust me. 
I found a couple of folks and I poured it out on them. It wasn't, a, it wasn't that he only picks two and out of 12 people, you know. Oh, gee, that's a shame for the other 10. No, he was actually looking for who would trust him because when you trust him, that's when you can come into the fullness. Now, consider then the other passage, Romans, in the New Testament. All right? The New Testament, you get to Matthew, you keep going right, right? You see, you just can't miss it in the end. You know, you keep turning, you keep turning, you get to Acts, and then you go, oh, Romans, here we go. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple of verses out to you. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham. This is verse 13, chapter 4 of Romans. Or to be seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but all those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. And here's the punchline. As it is written, I have made you fathers of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they did. Now, well, I know there's a lot in that passage. You're going to go, what, 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 right through that. I would too. You've got to preach that passage about 400 days before you get to the bottom of that one. That's a huge rabbit hole, that one. But, but, This is what is so important as it connects to how we apply the passage from uh, from, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14 to today. Because this passage gives us what Caleb was doing without him really knowing. Now consider this. You're going to receive in a moment this little challenge. Right? You're receiving this little challenge. And on the bottom of the little challenge is... The, the scripture from Romans 4, the second half of verse 18. Um, he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Now, I want you to keep that in front of you because this is getting the punchline, right? This is the punchline. You know, you know how some preachers have three points? Well, I don't. So I'm not telling you how many numbers I've got. I will just keep going until I'm finished. Well, no, not really. Um, I know that there's a, you know, we all turn into pumpkins eventually. But anyway, I keep this in front of you. All right, here's the challenge. Because if you want to come into the fullness of what God is offering, this is your challenge. If you want to come into the fullness of the promise of God made available to you, then this is your challenge. The way you live today, according to the promise of that, and even through this next week, this is your challenge. This is your opportunity to move out of the minor leagues into the major leagues. This is your opportunity to take hold of the promise of God in full and begin to see it come to reality. So let's begin. The Apostle Paul explaining how the promise of God came to Abraham. He talked about this in verse 17. Verse 7, he gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they do. 
And the Bible says, because God is able to do that, Abraham, contrary to hope, contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. Now, in the case, in the case of Caleb, there was a, land, a promise about a land. In the case of Abraham, it was a promise about a son. I mean, the interesting thing is that Abraham believed because, in, because God calls things into being that do not exist as though they do, because he does that, Abraham in hope believed. In hope he believed and he came into that promise. In other words, he called it into being in his life. This is the promise of God. I can't see how it's going to work, but I'm going to take it for myself and I'm going to bring it in to reality. Now, if you parallel the passage in Romans 13, 14 with the, sorry, in Numbers 13, 14 with Romans 4, you will see the same thing happening. There's a promise being made. The fulfillment of the promise looks impossible and unlikely. God guarantees it by his word and the promise becomes a reality because we trust him. In other words, God makes promises all through the scriptures. He makes promises about life. If you're not living to fullness, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. You should take that on the chin, get up off the canvas and say, whether I can see this coming into reality or not, I'm calling the promise of God into being in my life. I will not sit by and be robbed of my inheritance. In the case of Abraham, it was a son. In the case of Caleb, it was land. But it was the promise of God and whatever the promise of God on you will be what you're looking for. So we look to the promise of God. We call it into being in our life. This is the pattern. God makes the promise. He guarantees it from his word. And when I trust him, when I call it into being by my trusting, then it becomes reality in my life. An officer couple came up to see me a couple of months back, smiling at me as if I knew them. And I had to confess I didn't remember them. And, and that happens a lot. Um, I do apologise. Um, but I, I just, yeah, anyway, that's another thing. Um, I, I, they were smiling at me and I said, hello, how are you? You know, <laughs> it's you. It's you, isn't it? Yes, it's you. Yes. <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> anyway. After we got over the awkwardness, they told me their name and I wasn't too much the, you know, the wiser for that. But anyway, they told me their name and this is lovely husband and wife and a little, little guy, about two, three years old. Say, so, do you remember us? No. Right. Well, <clears throat> you, you, you gave us a promise from God. I said, oh, did I? Yes. And what did I say? And I t- you said, you told me I would have a son and that I would call him Samuel and I couldn't have children, the doctors told me. Oh. Then I looked down at the little guy thinking, is that him? <laughs> and she burst into tears. That is Samuel. You see, she went home and badgered her husband until he agreed to call that boy into, a, into reality. They went home after I prophesied that over them and said every day, Lord, you have given the promise. You have guaranteed it by your word 
that you are bringing all good things to us. We, we call this boy into being by faith in that promise. And when she fell pregnant, she was not only surprised, but her faith just shot through the roof because she had seen the promise fulfilled in her life. In my own family, my great-grandfather on my mother's side was a violent alcoholic. His life was going absolutely nowhere. He was unhappy, violent, angry, would gamble the, the money he earned as a minor and offer no support to his wife and their five boys. And then one night he ran into a couple of salvationists who told him the promise of God. He said, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have life. You don't need to live like this. You've got a choice. What do you want? And they invited him to have a meal with them. And he came, he came to the end when they gave him the invitation and he gave his life to Christ and said, Lord, I can't see how you're going to do this. But I want that promise fulfilled in my life. And God changed him. There's a funny story in our family that he went home and he told his wife he'd found Jesus. And she was furious with him. (laughs) Because to her way of thinking, he was violent. He was an alcoholic. He was no support to her. He abandoned her. And now he's religious. But on the following Friday, he came home from work early, straight home from work. And he put the pay packet unopened in front of his wife and said, this is for you and your children and our children. And my great-grandma knew something had happened. Next week, she came to know Jesus too. And all the five boys, one of whom was my granddad. I'm here because there was a promise on my great-grandfather that he could have life. He could have it. And he heard the message of how it could be and he didn't think it could be. He didn't think it could be, but he, he decided to trust anyway. And he came into the fulfilment because by his trusting, he was calling the promise into reality. You see, that's how God works. He calls things that do not exist as though they do. He does it by the word of his mouth. And when he makes a promise, he offers it a a chance for you to enter into the fullness of his promise. He said, you can have the fullness of my promise on your life if you will believe. And that different spirit, that different spirit will set you aside from your whole family, from your whole generation. That's the different spirit that Caleb had. He was, he was believing for land, but it wasn't because he didn't have other issues. He did. He, he had other questions. But he knew the promise of God. God had said, this land is yours. All right, Lord, I call that land, which looks impossible, which looks like it could never be mine. I call it into being. That land is mine. Oh, that land is mine. No, you're crazy. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You're off your head. Just, just, just stop talking. 
No, no, no. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to that. The promise of God has been said. I'm trusting it. I'm calling it into being in my life. I'm not sitting on the sideline saying it's too hard. I can't see how. It looks impossible, but God has made the promise and I'm believing it. I will not say no. I will latch on to that promise. And by faith, I'll drag it into reality. And it shall be mine. Hallelujah. That's the, that's the different spirit. Caleb had it. He had it. Where did he get it from? I don't know. He just had it. And every one of you here can have it too. Now, of course, if you don't want it, if you can sit and hear the promise of God on your life, you can, you can say, well, it's too hard. Some of you guys are believing for wives. Some of you girls are believing for husbands. Some of you guys are, and girls are looking for jobs. One or two of you here are in work that is demeaning and you're struggling to see the meaning of it. You're really feeling like you're in a dead end and you really don't know what God could possibly have for you. But you sense even now while I'm speaking, there's promise. Something is saying there's a promise on my life. Don't just sit there. Rise up and say, Father, you, you call things into being that do not exist as though they do. And so I'm going to copy you. And it's not just because he's God he can do that. This is what believing does. This is what believing God does. So because uh, we have therefore the, to face up to our options as I bring this thing to land. I have this promise, a promise on my life, something in the scriptures, something that a prophet has said over me, something I'm believing for. And your three options are because I can't see how it can be fulfilled, I give up any hope that it will be. You do that and you sitting in church is just going to grate you. You know why I come to church? And it's not because church is a great place all the time. I have a limited attention span. And so I go into some churches and it's dead boring. It's kind of like they're wanting to kill me with boredom. And they're trying to make me feel like I should be happy about it. And I've got to pay. And you ask yourself the question, oh, come on, this is wrong, isn't it? <laughs> I should be saying, no, that sucks, I'm not paying today. You know, that's... <laughs> Do you know why I love church? It's because I've seen the promises of God fulfilled in my life. There are still some things I'm believing for, but I'm breaking in to take the promise of God and see it into reality. Let me tell you a quick story about that. My wife and I have been pastors all our lives. Pastors don't get paid that well. And so we really wanted our own home. My wife, she was, she was like really zealous for this. She wanted a home, right, of her own. So she's pulling down heaven. She's, Lord, bring it into being in the name of Jesus. So she's a crazy woman. I mean, I, mean, I, I love my wife. She's an institution. But I, I mean, I, I'm loving that woman, right? She's calling this thing into build, being like that. And we said, Lord, we're believing you. We think the promise of God is on our lives. We believe you've got a home for us. There's no way you can provide for us. And then in two weeks, the following things happened. 
two, cup, uh, two couples came and asked to see us. And they said, our father passed away. We would like to give you a tithe on our inheritance. So we thought, oh, that's very nice. Until they put two $100,000 checks in front of us. And then another man, unbeknownst to that, came up with a $5,000 check. Then um, I had been persuaded to do something I had never done, having grown up in the Salvation Army and it was wicked and awful. Um, I put in lift tickets into a, a drawer. And <laughs> I never did that. I had no faith in it at all. And, I, and, and anyway, my wife did. She said, Lord, I know what you can do. You can do anything by just calling that house into being. Well, I won a $52,000 top-of-the-range four-wheel drive that I promptly sold. And when I turned up to the bank and said, hey, I've got about $250,000 here. Could you loan us some money so I can buy a house? And they said, why, of course. <laughs> you see, in two weeks' time, oh, by the way, in that same two weeks, I've got a brand-new upright Yamaha grand piano. In other words, we had learnt how to lay hold of that thing and bring it into being. Was the credit ours? No. God made the promise. He guaranteed it. All I was doing is dragging it. My wife and I were dragging it and saying, Lord, you call things that don't exist as though they do, so we're doing it as well. We're calling that thing into being. The promise of God on our lives, we're calling it into being. Now, if you want sobriety, you call it into being. Lord, I want sobriety. I don't want to live in addiction anymore. I want freedom. I'm not going to sit around going through the motions. I want freedom. I'm taking a hold of this. I'm calling what I can't see possible into being. If you want the right job, you've got to do the same thing. Call it into being. Not, it does not exist now, but you will see it by the promise of God. Caleb had words when he was calling it into being. Numbers 13.30 says, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Abraham, when he was calling things into being about his son, he did something. He went outside his tent and looked up because the promise was he would have that many children. Sometimes if you've got a promise on your life, sometimes looking up helps. Sometimes saying, we are well able. I am well able. Well, friends, we've got to bring this into land. You've got a challenge before you. The point of the passage, the point of my message is, it's time for you to call into being the promises of God on your life. Some of you are believing for unsaved family. There's promise on that. Consider the promise of Jeremiah 24-7, I will give them a heart to know me. There's promise all over that. You've got to call that thing into being. Some of you are believing for children. Some of you are believing for work. Some of you are believing for breakthroughs in family. Some of you are believing for breakthroughs in health. We rise up and we say, Lord, we can't see how it can happen. We don't even understand how it could be, but we've decided to call it into being. You've made a promise. You've guaranteed it. I'm calling it into being by faith. By faith, this is mine. By faith, this is mine. And my first invitation to anyone here this morning is if you don't have the forgiveness of sins and friendship with God, there is a promise that's been made. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believed on him would have life. And there's the promise. And God guaranteed that in the blood of his own son, Jesus. And you can have that right now. You can have that right now. You can believe that right now and have it. And I want, I want to see those people who want that promise fulfilled in their life because that's one of the good ones. You can get that one by an act of faith now. You don't have to wait five minutes for that. It's a promise on you. If you want the promise of God on your life for life and for forgiveness and hope, all you need to do is when we start to worship together, I want you to come down and say hello. And I'm going to talk to you and others will talk to you and pray with you. And we're going to teach you how to do it. You see, what you do is it's really simple. We say, Father, I don't know how you're going to forgive my sin, but your promise is you will. So I'm calling that promise into being in my life now by trusting your son, Jesus. So if you've got to want to trust God, I want you to come down while we're worshipping. And the team can come and we're going to start worshipping. And uh, I've got other things to say. I'm going to prophesy over a few people because the, the Lord Jesus is speaking. But he, here's the drum. If you want life, if you're looking for the promise and you want to receive the promise and you're thinking in your heart, boy, I could use that today. Well, God will meet you today when you trust him. Trust him. Have the different spirit. Choose to have it and come into it. So while we're worshipping... If you want the forgiveness of sins and life forevermore, you'll know if you don't have it. You will know. Boy, I tell you what, you will know. If you don't have it and you'd like to receive it, we want to stand with you and pray with you and begin the journey with you. So I just want you to come down and say hello.